first thing you need to know about Jesus' name is that if you're going in somebody's name, if I send Lamarck somewhere and I say, Lamarck, go downstairs and tell them this, that I, I, I asked them to do this. Lamarck may be asking them, but Lamarck is not actually using his authority. Lamarck is going in my name. So if you don't do what Lamarck asks, that means you're not disobeying Lamarck. You're disregarding what I said. In other words, he is my emissary or he is my ambassador or he is the carrier of my authority. Why is that important for the church to realize? Is because you are the carrier of the authority of God. And Jesus Jesus has complete and total authority over everything. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and it says this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which means that if Jesus has all authority and his name is us using his authority, that means we have access to all what? authority, which means that all those things that are subject to Jesus will be subject to us, not because of who we are, not because we have any power, but because we come in the name of what? Jesus. We come in the power of his name. There are some things that we may not be able to get out of in the natural realm, but there are many things that we're putting up with in the natural realm that we have the authority to overcome. God and Christ has given us the authority to overcome. One of those things is power over the enemy. Everybody say power over the enemy. It's important that we know that the authority of Jesus gives us power over the enemy. As we look at Matthew, I believe it is, uh, and I forgot what scripture it is. I did not put it on there, but I wrote these scriptures down, and I'll give them to you later. And it says, and he said unto them, Luke chapter 10, verse 18 through 19. I have an excellent media team. I sent them, sent them scriptures, and I didn't even put what scripture it was, and they found it. Let's read it together. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, let's preface this, and it's important for us to preface this, because what has happened is Jesus has 72 people in his church, and he has sent them out and empowered them in his name to do things, and they have come back excited about the fact that when they laid hands on people, they recovered. When they rebuked demons, those demons left, and they're, they're coming back, and they're excited to Jesus saying, hey, we went and we cast out devils, and, and they went away from us, and Jesus is simply telling Telling them not to be uh, excited about those things, but there is a truth in that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go, you can leave what's on the screen on the screen, but I'm going to go to Luke chapter 10 and I'm going to read verse 17. You don't have to go there. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. There are a lot of things that are happening in our lives. There are a lot of struggles and addictions. Some things can be chemical dependency, but many things are spiritual, and the enemy has sent his imps, and the enemy has demons and demonically assigned uh, spirits to come and to torment you and to keep you in bondage. And this is important for us to know because if we have the name of Jesus, if we have the authority of Jesus, those things then become subject to who? They become subject to us. Some things we're taking, we don't have to take. Go back to verse 18 and 19 right there. It says, and he said to them, in other words, he's saying, that's no big thing to me. Let's read that together. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Wow. Let's go to those next couple of scriptures if you, got, if you guys have them up. Uh, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. But those, there's two truths there that are very important for us to know. Number one, that our names are written in heaven, and that is a wonderful thing, that you are going to heaven if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to heaven. But number one, number two, that if you are saved, that the spirits are subject to Jesus, and because Jesus is in you, guess who the spirits are subject to? You. Not because of who you are, but because of who's in you. If you're being tormented with, with, with all sorts of things and all sorts of negative mindsets and depression, and that's a spirit of depression. Sometimes it's clinical or psychological, but many times spirits torment us. You have the right to say, in Jesus' name, you have to leave me alone. You cannot continue to burden me. And if you believe that you shall receive, those spirits are what? Subject to you. Now, many people misinterpret the scripture and they go trying to grab snakes and scorpions. And that's rather foolish. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. And I wouldn't recommend doing that. But if you read your Bible and study your Bible, when you see serpents, we're and keeping in context of the scripture. They had just started saying that demons are what subject to us. So what's the subject matter? The subject matter are demons and spiritual authority. So when Jesus is responding to them, obviously, even when he uses uh, uh, metaphors, he's talking about what? This subject, demons and spiritual authority, because what do they refer to Satan as? A serpent. And many times when you see the word serpent or scorpion, serpents refer to the enemy, which is the devil or the Satan, and scorpions refer, refer to demonic spirits. So what Jesus is saying is, don't be, uh, don't be amazed by the fact that this happened, because I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He is subject to me, and I'm giving you the same authority that even Satan and his demons under my power are subject to you. Not by your power, but by his power. Because the book of Jude says that when, when Satan and the archangel began to argue over the body of Moses, that he didn't even say he rebuked the enemy. He simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Some things are in your life, and we have to realize that there are spiritual things as well as there are physical things, and that some things are being caused by spiritual. I wanted to let you know that you have power over the enemy. Somebody say power over the enemy. Not only do you have that authority, but you've been given diplomatic authority. I'm going to read this, and, it, uh, and I wrote it in the Amplified Version. If they put it up there, it might read it a little different, but... John chapter 14, verses 10 through 14 reads like this in the Amplified. It says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not say of my own initiative or authority, but the Father abiding continually in me does his works, his attesting miracles and acts of power. Then he says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe me because of the very works themselves, which you have witnessed. In other words, if you don't believe anything else, you saw all the stuff that I did. Believe in the things that you've seen me do that you've never seen any other person do. And
and know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then verse 12 says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, anyone who believes in me as Savior will also do the things that I do, and he will do even greater things in the extent and outreach because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name as my representative. This will I do so that the Father may be glorified and celebrated in the Son. If you ask anything in my name as my representative, I will do it. Let's read that together in NIV so we can just read it together. I like to read together. Let's read that. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What do you need from God? That's within his will. I'm not talking about things that are from the lust because James says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. What does amiss mean? You ask with the wrong motives and with the wrong hearts. But if your heart is pure towards the kingdom, what do you want from God? Would you say, God, I like more people that are in my age or people group that I can worship within the church? Can you send more people that way? God will answer prayers like that because the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are what? Few. And so the Bible says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends what? Laborers. So that's a good prayer that we can pray. Lord, send me people around me that, that I can fellowship with and fill this building with people that I'll be able to walk a Christian life with day in and day out. So you have diplomatic authority. You are a diplomat. And in order to be a diplomat, you have to be a diplomat of a country. What country is it? It's the kingdom of God. Everybody say the kingdom. God has established his kingdom, and it is an invisible kingdom that cannot be seen in the earthly realm. It dwells in the hearts of men, and you are an emissary or an ambassador of that kingdom, which means that God has given you spiritual authority. Some of the things that you are struggling with, that if Jesus would have put his hands on you and say, be healed in Jesus, in my Father's name, in Jesus' name, you have the spiritual authority to, de to declare what the word says about your what? Life. Oftentimes, we don't operate under that authority because we don't realize we have it. But we see Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, says, in the name of who? Jesus. In other words, I'm his representative. I'm using his authority and his power. You no longer have to stay crippled. Rise and get up and walk. So after this, you'll often see that if you see miracles, I know a lot of times this gets tainted because we have people that abuse those practices. We have people that abuse miracles, and we have people that abuse faith and all those things. And because of that, many people can become cynical and not believe in the supernatural. Many people can become supernatural and not cynical and not believe in faith. But miracles exist. God exists. Spirituality through Christ Jesus exists. And so you have power to do some things if you know you have the power to do them and to exercise them. But every time you see the disciples exercising the power of the Holy Spirit, immediately there comes a sign to what? Witness about Christ. Because he said in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then he says, and then you'll be my what? witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth the whole scheme is to get every uh, scheme on the plot of this theme is to get everyone as many people as possible saved and into the kingdom of God 
So when we're healing people, we're not healing people so that they can, we can sell them some miracle water or something like this to, to make money. It's always to demonstrate the power of Christ so that people will come to who? Him. That people will come to God. But there are religious people around, and they don't seem to like that very well. <laughs> and so you see that they come into a colonnade where this man has sat, and he now this man who has been lame since birth is up walking, standing beside Peter and John. Because I've already told you that they recognize him. Why? Because they lay him at that gate every day. <laughs> And Jews go to that gate every day. Therefore, they know who he is. They know this is the guy that I either give money to or the guy that I pretend that I don't see and roll my window up and hope that he doesn't see me or make eye contact with me so I don't have to reach my hand in and give him any money. That that guy, they, they know who this guy is. They, they've seen this guy many times, and now they are astounded because they know there's no way this man could be walking. But now he is walking, and so what happens? Peter uses this for an opportunity to spread the gospel. What does he say? In Acts chapter 3, verse 12, he says, When Peter saw this, and all the people were astonished, you, gotta, you always got to realize when the mood is right to spread the gospel. He says, when Peter saw all these people and he knew he had an audience, he said, I'm not going to waste this audience. I'm going to use it to spread the gospel. And it says, when he saw this, he said, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The, the God of Abraham, he gives glory to God, Isaac and Jacob, and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. We see this is the second time that Peter is doing this. This is, this is generally not what they would teach you to do in a seminary more than likely to, to just keep poking and poking at people. It's your fault that Jesus is dead. You killed Jesus. But guess what? I'm going to get to this in a second. He's doing something very powerful. He says, this man that you killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the one author of life. But God raised them from the dead. We are witnesses of this by the faith in Jesus, the name of Jesus. There it is again. This man who you see, whom you see and was now made strong, it is in Jesus' name, that's that power again, and faith that comes through him that has given him his complete healing, as you all can see. Now, he's going to change, change his approach now. He's saying, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now, this is a perfect roadmap for anybody who wants to share the gospel. The first thing he does is talk about who Christ is. Everybody say who Christ is. If you want to lead somebody to Jesus, you must first know who is Christ. 
He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the son of the living God. He was born of a virgin. He suffered on this earth. He was crucified by Pontius Pilate, and he was buried for three days, and he rose with all power in his hand, able to give life to the living and the dead. I'm giving you part of the Apostles' Creed, but that's something that you need to know about who Jesus is, because if Jesus did not rise, our faith is no different than every other religion in the world. It would be useless faith. I'm not insulting any religion, but Muhammad has not yet to rise from his sepulcher. You can look for Krishna, you can look for Buddha, and they're right where they laid them. There's only one faith where you can go to the leader of that faith and you look for his tomb and it's empty. And that's Jesus, the son of the living God. We must know who Jesus is, but knowing who Jesus is sometimes will get you in a little bit of trouble because other people don't believe like you do. When I talk to my, my girls, I tell them, baby, when you go to school, you must know this is the truth. But people are going to tell you other things and they don't believe like you do. Don't be surprised when they tell you things that are contrary to the word of God. Our first year in Royal Oak, Haley went to school, and she had out a Bible, and her teacher walked over to her, and that would have never happened in the South because it's the Bible Belt. But her teacher walked over to her and said, you, uh, you might want to put that up because it might offend some people. <laughs> and Haley thought to herself, she said, well, they might have something that offends me. She kept on reading. <laughs> she didn't put up her Bible. She continued to live out her faith, and the biggest witness we can have is to live our faith, what? Out loud, not just by crosses on our neck, but kindness in our hearts, by doing things and helping and feeding the hungry and feeding the poor and doing things for the community. Those are different ways that the hands and feet of Christ can be seen by the church, and generosity can draw people to Christ. So number one, Peter talks to them about who Christ is. Then he talks about cultural depravity. He doesn't tell them that you're a wonderful person. Obviously, Peter was not preaching to millennials. Because millennials, of which I am one, have been told erroneously how great they are. And every time they miss something or every time they go somewhere, even if you lose, you get a trophy, which has them thinking that everybody should always affirm me. Everybody should always say nice things to me, which means that we have raised a full culture, which now has 401ks of entitled, spoiled adults. And it's harder for them with the gospel, many of them, because it's hard for them to hear that you're not okay. That you need Jesus. That you can't save yourself. You are not the answer to your life's problems. Jesus is the answer. And unless you have Jesus, you will be incomplete. They don't like to hear messages like that. Many people don't like to hear messages like that. But you see, Peter doesn't shy away. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified. But then he cuts him some slack. He says, you did it in ignorance. So he is telling them what is the result of rejecting Jesus. And you have to be honest with people that if you don't receive Jesus, this is the result. I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this to encourage you about the good things that Jesus has for you. Because the Bible says, with loving kindness have I drawn them. 
He is drawing us with loving kindness, but we must be honest about the consequences of not receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We cannot skirt over the consequences, talk about all the good, but not talk about the back end if something doesn't happen. That's called malpractice. That's called leaving things out when you don't give somebody a whole part of the contract and somebody might have come to Jesus had they known that that was going to be the result. But we don't want to scare people into Christ. We're not trying to scare people into Christ, but we're simply trying to give people all the facts so that they can make a conscious decision to choose what they want to do. They can choose to reject Christ. I pray that they don't, but we need to let them know what happens if they choose to reject. Not only that, but he gives a clear presentation and an invitation for repentance. We look at verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent, metanoia, which means to change your mind. Repent then and turn to God. Most times we tell people that turning, repentance means to turn away. You can leave that up. Repentance means to turn away, but repentance doesn't mean to turn away. Because you notice he has two phrases. He says, repent then turn. Why do you have to repent and then turn to God? Because you can turn to God, but if your mind's not changed, you're going to turn right back to what you left. And that's the problem that many of us are struggling because we're trying to be good. We're trying to stop doing stuff and we're working on our behavior, but we're not allowing Christ to download his word in our mind. If any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. Be ye not conformed to the wor this world, but how do you become transformed? You become transformed by the renewing of your mind. Many of you have probably read that a thousand times and never noticed that he says repent, then turn. The problem is we have people that are turning, but not people that are repenting. Wow. I need to say that again. The problem that we have is there are people that are return that are that they're, they're turning, but they're not repenting. They stopped doing bad for a little while. Okay, I gave my life to Jesus. Now I got to stop doing this. I got to stop drinking. I got to stop cussing. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop being promiscuous. I got to stop doing that. But they find themselves right back in the same old mess because the only way they're going to be renewed is to renew their mind. So you have to have a mind change before the behavior change in order for the behavior change to be long lasting. Come on, somebody. It doesn't mean that you won't mess up, but when you mess up, if your mind is changed, guess what? You're going to get up, and the Bible says a righteous man will fall seven times. That means seven is the number of completion. There's no limit to the amount of times he may fall, but what makes him righteous is that he gets what? Back up again because his mind is changed. That's why a lot of people try out Christ for a little bit, but they don't stay with Christ because they change their actions, but they never change their mind. They never change their heart in order to have a long-lasting relationship with Christ, you got to be changed from the inside out. You got to believe it in your heart. There are plenty of people who are moral and still not saved. If you go to Muslim brothers and sisters, they are very moral. Matter of fact, sometimes they're more moral than Christians. Certain things we, we do, they wouldn't dare do. But being moral won't get you into heaven. 
being a good person won't get you into heaven. You have to trust in Christ Jesus. You must be born again, and you have to renew your mind. When I was little, they, did it, they used to say it this way, things I used to do, I don't do no more. Things I used to say, I don't say anymore. Places that I used to go, I don't go anymore. I don't know why I can't get off of that, but somebody needs to hear that. That is what we really are looking at. You have Everybody say, repent, then turn. Do it again. Repent, then turn. Somebody needs to hear that because somebody has been struggling with, I can't see why I can't have any consistency with my Christian walk. It seems like every time I take two steps forward, I take two steps back. You might want to ask yourself, have I really repented? That's why it's important to study the Bible and not nearly read the Bible. Metanoia are two Greek words that are put together that mean a change of mind. Lord, so what you need to start praying, Lord, change my mind, change my heart, change my thoughts. And if you change my heart and my minds and my thoughts, guess what? So the man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. So if you want to be faithful, start putting faithful people around you and start reading the word of God faithfully. And guess what's going to come out of you? Faithfulness. If you want peace, start keeping peaceful people and peaceful things in your life. Turn off the news because you won't ever get any peace. Pick up the word of God and start to read the word of God. And as you start to talk more to the Prince of Peace, guess what you're going to produce peace. If you want love, get away from unloving people that are always cynical and always nasty and surround yourself with a fellowship of believers that love God. Get into God's word and read that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Download that into your mind and when you repent and change your mind, your life will change. Repeat this after me. Nothing changes on the outside. Until something changes on the inside. You got to say that again. Nothing changes on the outside. (laughs) Until something changes on the inside. The problem is we're trying to change the outside and dress it up. And the inside is still messed up. So Peter gives this. He says, repent. Then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Hallelujah. That times of refreshing will come from the Lord. You're not repenting and turning from God to turn to a boring old life. You're repenting and turning from God so that times of refreshing, times of renewal, (laughs) would you be free from your burden of sin? That's power in the blood. That if you turn your life to Jesus, some of the burdens that you are bearing are directly correlated to the life that you are living. And when you turn loose of that old worldly mindset and allow God to renew your mind, guess what? You reap what you what? So that doesn't mean good things always happen to people who follow Christ. But I'll be honest with you. And if you be honest with yourself, it's not other people that are our problem. Sometimes we're our own worst problem. Simply because we won't submit and yield our hearts to Jesus. You got to be broken to come to God. 
They would tell you, if you're saving a drowning man, I can't swim. But I've talked to many a lifeguard, and the first thing they always told me, if somebody's drowning, don't try to save them. They'll drown you, sneak up behind them, take as much strength as you can, hit them in the back of the head, and knock them out cold. Because if they're not, they'll keep struggling, and they'll kill you while you're trying to save them. They can only be saved when they surrender. I've come to tell somebody who may be listening by podcast or by YouTube or in this room that some of us will never be saved out of the situation we're in until we surrender to God and say, I've had enough. That's enough. I'm tapping out. I try to fix my money, and all I did was mess it up. I try to fix my relationships, and I keep going from one broken relationship to another. I'm tired of trying to fix my happiness because the more money I have, the more miserable I am. I'm tapping out, Jesus. I'm throwing in the white flag. I give up. Come and save me. That times of refreshing will come. You've been under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, and you're looking for God to speak, speak to you. And God's just saying simply, give up. It's the best way to win is to give up. That doesn't sound like the American way. <laughs> That's not the American way. We don't quit. <laughs> we fight harder and harder. And my, me, present, present person, honest. I'm honest about it. You know the best way to get me to do something? To tell me I can't do it. Because I'd be doggone if you're going to tell me I can't do something. I'm not going to quit. But the best way to win with Christ is to quit, to give up, and to surrender to him. Quit trying to do it on your own. That's why you're losing. You need to do it in Jesus' authority. You need to rely on his power and on his authority. And when he empowers you, the change will last. Verse 20, and that he may send the Christ who has pointed to even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through the prophets. Verse 26, I'm skipping over so I can go to chapter 4. He says, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He's not trying to be mean to you to tell you that you're wicked. He's trying to save you. We don't preach that in churches anymore because it might not be popular to people. How you, who are you to call me wicked? Another wicked person. It takes one to know one. <laughs> and we're nothing without Jesus. He's trying to heal us and say that you need to turn from your wicked ways. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves, get yourself out of the way. Get your pride out of the way. Get your degrees out of the way. You can have more degrees than the thermometer, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything at all. Get your house out of the way. Get your car out of the way. Get your etymology and your big words out of the way. Get them all out of the way. Turn and be humble. Turn from your wicked ways. And then he said, I will heal from heaven and I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. Some of you have been broken for years and God wants to heal you. And I'm telling you to stop fighting. The best way to win is to quit. Give up. Oh, Jesus. But this gets them in some trouble and I'm running out of time. Because they face persecution from their local governments. 
course, Christians wouldn't know what that's like to face persecution from their local government about what they believe and <laughs> what they think, would they? <laughs> or what they might say. I don't, I'm not sure if we know what that's like, do we? But verse 4 and 1 says, The priest and the captain and the t- of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. Now, they have just healed a man who has been broke down all his life. You would think that everybody would be jumping and shouting and excited about what's going on. This man has been healed. This is a miracle God, and that God is moving, but they got a problem. They came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And what you have to know is that the Sadducees, there are three sects of Jews. There are Pharisees, there are Sadducees, and there are Essenes. The Sadducees are what we would call like our liberal Christians. They, they, they kind of believe in God. They go to church, but it really ain't real for them. And they, they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead uh, at all. And they don't believe in that. They believe once you're dead, it's it. And they're more materialistic. They're into their money. They're into the pockets of Rome. So here they come, and they hear this dude saying he's preaching the resurrection of this Jesus who we just crucified. They crucified him not even 90 days ago, and you're saying he's risen. And now I'm upset because not only are you saying he's risen, but you're raising somebody from the dead too? Or raising somebody up that's crippled? No, you can't do this because you're going to pull me out of my comfort zone. I just want to come to church. I don't want to believe that there's power in God because if there's power in God, that might mean I might have to seek for something else. And I just like being religious, showing up every now and then. But if I see somebody else demonstrating power, that may let me know that I'm not as powerful as I think I am. And I might have to do a little bit more prayer. People don't like people who are close to God because they it's like the tissue test. When you see them, now they don't realize that we're both filthy rags. But what they see, they see God working in you. And they don't say thank God that he's working in you they say well what's wrong that he's not working in me and they don't want to stop to think about that so we see that in chapter 4 it says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles verse 2 were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus in the resurrection of the dead so what did they do they're gonna have a party for them say praise God y'all healing people let's have a big revival let's see what they did everybody let's read verse 3 let's see how they handle them Let's read. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail to the next day. Let's keep reading. Let's see what God does. This is amazing. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. They already had three. Now through this miracle, they got five. I've come to serve notice on somebody. No matter what kind of argument you have or intellectual argument, you will never be able to defeat the power of God. And if God is in it, he will draw the people that he wants to draw. He'll send random people in the door That when he gets ready. That it doesn't matter what they teach in the schools. It doesn't matter what they teach in the universe. It doesn't matter if they teach relativism relativism or transcendentalism or modernism or or whatever kind of thought they teach, that if God wants to do something, you can't stop it. Keep reading. Let's read. Let's see what they do to him the next day. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power and name do you do this? Why are you asking? We already told you. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up. (laughs) And the man got up. 
You have to know something about Roman law. The reason you see Caiaphas and Annas, and they call Annas the high priest, is that Annas is actually the Levite. He is the high priest that's assigned. He's of the tribe of Aaron, so he's the high priest. But the Romans don't like Annas, so they put his son Caiaphas in charge. So Caiaphas is in charge on paper, but nobody respects or listens to Caiaphas. Everybody still in the Jewish culture realizes and, and, and still calls Annas the high priest. I remember walking into a secretary's office one day, for my job and it said do you want to talk to the boss or you want to talk to the person in charge <laughs> and, and that would essentially be what it is Caiaphas is by Roman rule he's the high priest they've appointed him but the people of the Jews still call Annas the high priest and these people are here and they're saying by what name or what authority did you do this let's look at verse 8 we're going to keep reading then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we are being called to count today for an act of kindness shown to a crippled person and are asked, how was he healed? In other words, really? We heal somebody and that's how you appreciate it? You're going to appreciate us by bringing us in here? So he's, guess what he's going to do? He's going to preach the gospel again. We see within three chapters, Peter is going to preach the gospel three times. He preached it to the people outside when the Holy Spirit has showed up. He's preached it to these people when he healed it. And now he's going in the church so he can get the preacher saved. You'll catch that on the way home. <laughs> he says to them, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. He's saying the same thing again. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. He is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone or the capstone. And that makes sense when we hear him talk to Peter, because Peter's real name is Simon. But Simon is not what Jesus calls him. He calls him Petra in the Greek or Peter, and it means simply rock. And when he says, who do men say that I am? Peter responds to him that you are Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you have said this and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. And guess what? Upon this rock, this bedrock, this foundation that I am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And here it is, Peter again begins to talk about this rock. He says the stone that the builders rejected and now become the chief corner. If you know anything about building, Romans were masters at building and they had a capstone or a cornerstone that sat in between their archers so that it could evenly distribute weight. It is one of the most powerful structures known to man. Even so that two thousand years later there are still aqueducts in Rome and structures in Rome that were built and they're still sitting on the power of that capstone and what he's saying is God sent the cornerstone and you rejected him but guess what now he's the head of everything the world's rejecting Jesus in many ways but that doesn't that doesn't stop the fact that he's still the chief cornerstone he's still the head salvation now Oh, we got to read this. Verse 12. I might stop here oh, so I can behave. <laughs> I'm getting excited. Let's read this together. This is a very controversial statement nowadays in the days of inclusion and not hurting anybody's feelings or not saying anything to be offensive to anybody. This is highly offensive, but we're going to read it anyway. Let's read it together. Let's read it right. Let's read it loud. What does it say? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
don't care what ideology you have. You can talk about energy. You can talk about chi, whatever you want. That's not going to save you. You can, you, can, you can lay down and pray to the north, south, east, or the west. You can do all these rituals. But nothing will save you but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can save me from addiction? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can heal me from the bonds of pornography? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can heal me from depression? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men and were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, something's going on with these fellas. They haven't been to the seminary. They don't have an MDL. They don't have a D-man. But somehow they have power that the educated preachers don't have. We've been to school, and we studied, and we know the law from the top to the bottom. As a matter of fact, there is a, a Jewish proverb that says, he that does not teach his son to tr a trade teaches his son to steal. Everybody was hoping to be a rabbi or get in rabbinical school, but for those who couldn't make it, they had to do the blue-collar work. And now here it is, the blue-collar people who couldn't get into school, who couldn't get the GPA, who couldn't pass the PSAT and the ACT, who couldn't get all the degrees of walking in, talking to the degree people and saying, I know God more than you do, and you got a degree in him. Oh, wow. And they can't deny it. You know why? Because this crippled man is standing up right beside him. And they've been handing him money for years, and now he's not crippled. You can't just pretend that you didn't see that. <laughs> brother Dennis said he's going to get the money then. Yeah, he can go get a job now, Brother Dennis. He can walk. <laughs> so they ordered them to withdraw from the ten heathen, and they conferred together. In other words, uh, we got a problem here. Y'all got real power. Send them out so they can't hear what we're talking about because we got to figure out what we're going to do with these fellas because this is a problem. When you follow, that, Satan has no problem with you being a Christian. He has no problem with you coming to church. But if you ever start speaking the truth, he has a problem. Nowadays, if you say something as simple as quote the Bible, he made them male and female. He made the, he them. They got a problem with you. When God starts moving in your life, it starts issues for you. <coughs> so if you're looking to be popular, Christianity is not the place for you. But if you're looking for heaven, it's the perfect place. <laughs> Let's read this. Let's see what they say. So they ordered them to withdraw, and we're going to go. And it says, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. This is verse 16. Let's look at verse 17. Let's read it together. We're getting ready to go. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men no longer to, to anyone, to speak no longer to anyone in his name. They're trying to silence the church. Then they called them again and commanded them to not to speak or teach uh, uh, at all in the name of Jesus. But, everybody said but. I want to read this together. Let's read it. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Hmm. I know what you told me, but I know who saved me. 
Go to that next verse. Well, Jesus, this is exciting. Let's read it. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. If you've really had an encounter with Jesus, why are you talking about God all the time? The only reason you ask me that is because you ain't met him yet. <laughs> but when you meet him, you can't stop talking about him. Oh, Jesus. Verse 21, and we're about done. Let's read it. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They had watched him at that temple for 40 years. I want you to go ahead and read the rest of it on your own. Peter begins, guess what he does? He begins to preach again. That's what you got to do. You just got to keep preaching the word to people. Keep preaching the word. Well, well, they don't want to hear it. That's okay. The Bible says be instant in season and out of season. Let's put that in praying English. Preach the word when they want to hear it and preach it when they don't. Keep preaching the word. You allow God to make the results. It's not up to me to reach out and bring people into the church. The sheep go out and we call the people, but God will add to the church. But what we are, we are commissioned to do is to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have a choice whether or not they respond. They respond. Keep preaching the word. God is in the driver's seat. Verse 28 said, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand. In other words, he's telling them, you thought you crucified Jesus, but Jesus wanted to be crucified. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak up with great boldness. In other words, the more you press me, the harder I'm going to talk. Whip me if you want, and you'll see this if you go down through the scriptures and go through the rest of this. I was reading down, and you'll see this in a couple of weeks. It gets so bad that they put the disciples in jail and said, you can't preach about Jesus anymore. We're going to whip you. We're going to put you in jail. They put them in jail, wake up. They go in the cell. The guards are at the cell. They open up the cell, and there aren't any disciples in there. Where are the disciples? The angel came in and said, you got work to do, and walked right through the wall and took them right back out. And so they find the disciples out in the middle of the corner, still preaching the gospel. With the door still locked, they didn't even go through the front door. You cannot stop God. You can't stop the power of the gospel. And what God is trying to do through these lessons and learning about the early church as we talk about acts and the, the exciting life of the church is to spark our hearts to action that we play the part he is calling us to play. You are on the winning team. You are on the winning side. Do not let the enemy tell you that you are a loser. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Second Corinthians 10 and 5, we cast down every thought and vain imagination which raises itself against the knowledge of God and taking the captivity, every thought into obedience to Christ. The enemy is going to try to destroy you, but you are on the winning side. And you know why you're on the winning side? Because you quit. Because you gave up and gave Jesus your life. This is one of my most popular phrases, and I've coined this phrase. Look at your neighbor. If you don't have a neighbor, just say it with me. Even when I lose, I win. <laughs> when you get up in the morning and you really don't want to get up and go to work and you really don't want to turn on that computer and you're like, man, this is a horrible day. So look in the mirror and say, you know what? Even when I lose... I win. 
somebody listening, if you, you open, up a, open up a bill and it says disconnect on the end of it, you may have to find a way to pay that bill. God may, may work it out, but what you need to do is look at the bill and say, even when I lose, <laughs> I win. When you go out and the doctor says, you know what, there's nothing else I can do for you. You look at that doctor and say, I appreciate what you're telling me, but guess what? Even when I lose, I win. Well, preacher, I don't believe that. Give me Bible for it. I sure will. For it says, we know this, that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So that even when you know, when you know Jesus, even when it looks like you're losing, you're winning. That's what he was telling them. You thought you were hanging Jesus. You thought you were putting him out. But you were helping him to win. And because he won, we win. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you. We thank you for this night. We thank you for those who are on the sound of my voice, Lord, that, that those that are listening by Facebook or YouTube or the website or those that are listening later by podcast, God. We pray that your spirit anoints these words tonight, that somebody will come in holy boldness and stand up. And, God, it's time for your church to be the church and not to walk in fear but to walk in faith. Empower us with the power of your spirit, the power of your gospel so that souls will be saved and lives will be changed and people will be encouraged and lifted up in the name of Jesus. I pray now that you cover everyone under the sound of my voice and everyone across the airwaves, God, that your blessing will come in the room with them right now where they are, wherever they are, whatever time they're listening to this, that they feel the power of your Holy Spirit enveloping them right now, Jesus, that they have no choice to say we cannot help but speak about what we have felt and seen. We thank you for it. We thank you that you're going to add to this church continually. Lord God, we thank you for it, and we give you praise and thanks. In the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise.